0: on your monday episode of locked on raptors a nice win over the bulls a narrow loss to the Cavs. we'll break it all down what went wrong in the game against cleveland and why are the raptors finally looking like they're hitting a bit of a rhythm we'll get into all that coming up thanks for hanging oh like because when i shot i expected to make it so i don't shoot kind of miss. you are locked on raptors part of the locked on podcast network your team every day What's going on and welcome to another episode of Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It is Monday, November the 27th. And I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for 10 seasons on various platforms. You can find all my work over on the website that don't work so good at Woodley Sean. You can find the show on Instagram at Locked On Raptors, of course, and you can join the Locked On Raptors Discord server. The link to join is in the description of the podcast. It's free to do, and it's a great little place to come hang out among pals during Raptors games, between Raptors games. It's a a great little spot. So come hang out, and we'd love to see you join our little Locked On Raptors listener family uh you can also find the show for free wherever you get your podcast over on youtube as well you can go subscribe and hit the little notification bell if you hit that bell you'll get a notification every single time the show is going live so you never miss an episode when it's fresh out the shoot so thanks in advance for doing that and uh let's get to it today's show is brought to you by prize picks the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports go to prizepicks.com locked on nba and use the code all lowercase locked on nba very first deposit matchup to $100 all right let's get to it busy weekend for the raps game on friday win over the chicago bulls 121 108 the offense looking smooth and good a nice punch back after the bulls made it a little interesting in the fourth quarter and uh just a nice closing instinct from your toronto raptors in that one We're not going to really dive too much in the nuts and bolts of that game because the Bulls stink, and frankly, I'm uninterested in talking about games against teams that stink, like the Chicago Bulls. I don't know if there's a ton to pull from it other than the really nice offensive process we saw, an awesome game from OG Ananobi. I thought Pascal Siakam's playmaking in this game was pretty much sublime. Uh, Scotty Barnes was just kind of everywhere on the defensive end. Lots of good stuff from that Bulls game. It was all well and good. I'm far more interested in the game against the Cavs. So we're gonna spend the opening block here just kind of digging into my takeaways, my observations of where that game went, what wrong for the Raptors, what was fun about it. We'll get into some sort of bigger picture takeaways on the team, seemingly hitting a bit of a groove here. And of course, we got the good, the bad, and the hmm coming up later on. But let's dive in to the game against Cleveland. 105. 102 the Raptors lose Sunday evening on the road to the Cavaliers in a game that for the second time in three games you think back to that Pacers game as well a real styles make fights game and these are literally my favorite basketball games to watch and kind of maybe my favorite thing about basketball in general is watching two teams that are built very differently go head to head and see how they can sort of move the chess pieces and figure out how to overcome their own weaknesses, the other team's strengths, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. it's very cool. Styles make fights and I am uh, very keen on what seems to be a bit of stylistic diversity kind of creeping into the NBA. Lots of different teams playing lots of different ways with weird roster builds. It's very cool. And the Raptors and Cavs basically like inverse rosters of one another. Obviously, the Raptors kind of all wing the Cavs. uh, They go the zero wing mode, although Max Struess certainly doing a nice job for them on the wings. Really, really good in this game. Totally burned the Raptors. Um, But, you know, in general, these two teams are built very differently. They have to sort of overcome similar but different challenges. And I think it's just like a really fascinating matchup to watch these teams square off one-on-one. And the Cavs got the better of them in this one. There's no doubt. That said, I think there was a lot to like from what the Raptors did in this game. They were really, really, really good on the defensive end for the most part. We'll get into how things kind of got away from them with Darius Garland near the end. But overall, the Raptors actually held the Cavs to about an 80 offensive rating in the half court in this game which was worse than what the Raptors were able to pose in the half court, which was like an 81.8. Also not a banner day for either half court offense here, but the Raptors had a really good showing. I think obviously OG and an OB guarding Donovan Mitchell was thrilling and really, really mean and <laughs> kind of what you expect when OG has that assignment. But let's get into the Darius Garland thing. Cause I kind of think this is where, The game was lost for the Raptors. And this is not to say like, oh, you got to go blame someone for the loss. Like it's Darko's fault. It's Scotty's fault. Like we don't got to do that every time. It's a team sport. There's a million things that happen in a game that all contribute to the outcome. And we don't have to start pointing fingers after every single regular season loss. I would like if that could be a thing that we just simply don't do anymore. But I do think it's worthwhile looking at what happened. Darius Garland in this game that caused the Raptors to kind of come unspooled in a couple spots, a couple of really key spots down the end of the stretch where Garland had a couple straight plays where he basically won the game for Cleveland. Um, I think the thing that stood out here was I did not like Scotty Barnes guarding Darius Garland in this game. I was totally fine with OG kind of shadowing Donovan Mitchell. I think that was a perfectly good utilization of OG in this game. You kind of take off one of the heads of the snake with OG just kind of out there lurking and making Donovan Mitchell's life miserable. That's cool. What I didn't love was having the main assignment on Darius Garland be Scotty Barnes. And like, this is a thing we've talked about now for two seasons. Scotty Barnes is best as a defender when he's in the lower part of the defense where he can hang around the rim, make ridiculous plays, block shots, be that low man helper, roamer type who can aid in the last line of defense at the rim with his incredible ability to make up ground and swat shots and the timing and all that stuff. The instincts for him as a low man, really, really great. Even just as the traditional back, you know, backline center type, really, really good. When you ask him to start chasing dudes away from the rim, it does two things. One, it amplifies that he's just not great at sticking in front of really fast, slippery guards. And boy, boy, there are not many dudes more slippery than Darius Garland. The dude just like was just rolled out of an oil drum, basically. And is just out there kind of leaving skids behind for everybody to slip on. He's really, really bloody good. And I think that was kind of the takeaway for me th- in this one. It was just like a tip of the hat to Darius Garland. But I don't think the Raptors did everything they could have to kind of limit him. I think, you know, we saw Dennis Schroeder a lot guarding Max Strus, trying to fight through the screens and whatnot. Obviously, Strus is flying around off ball and is going to be running through all sorts of wickets and sort of barriers for the defender to keep up with. And I didn't think Schroeder did a great job there. I understood the idea. He's like the smallest guy, easiest to kind of slide through screens and whatnot. If there was one thing I didn't love from the defense in this game, it was that They really had a hard time with screen navigation. Pascal got cut up a couple times as well here and there. Uh, You know, there was a... A three, I think, from, it might have been Garland. might have been Struess. I'm having a hard time remembering the exact. It was on the left, or sorry, on the right wing. I think it was in the second half. Um, I think it was Mitchell. It might have been Garland. God, these things, why do you have to remember exact? It was Mitchell. Sorry, it was Garland. Mitchell didn't hit a three in this game. So it was Garland. Um, and you had this sort of, Pascal gets hit by the screen real hard precious seems to think he's supposed to be dropping it's not a switching situation and garland puts a three up precious too late to get the hand like that type of stuff i think that was kind of a recurring thing here but for the most part i think scotty on garland is where things kind of came undone and we saw down the end of the stretch here where um you know the two straight possessions where garland first lobs it up for the little tap in from jared Allen on the back end scotty can't stay in front of garland in that possession garland gets downhill kind of with impunity and garland is really tricky to guard he's not just someone who has a pull-up three to his game he has that full downhill energy he can get all the way to the rim but he also has just like a really nasty floater and a whole array of passes he can throw from that sort of middle area where you know he can kind of adapt to what the defense is doing to him and decide what he's going to do on the fly the decision making is really quick and smart from him there um and so on that first one Yak steps up because Scotty gets burned on the blow by and Jared Allen just kind of hanging back there waiting for the lob pass a great find over Yak for Dennis Darius Garland really good stuff just like really good point guard play the next time down Scotty does a better job sticking with Garland doesn't all the way but kind of stays locked on his hip at least all the way to the rim Garland makes an incredible play but there's not really Yak there at the rim to help with the rim protection because he's a little out of position and i think my hunch is we'd have to i'd have to ask him exactly what was going through his head there my hunch is he was also worried again about Allen on the back side and was trying to stay closer to Allen on the roll and so it, it just kind of left the the rim a little bit unprotected there, garland obviously great touch and finish on that one that kind of swirls around the hoop and falls in but that to me was kind of the, the weak spot because, again, you kind of have Scotty being amplified in his worst spot as a guy in the perimeter. I would have liked to see Pascal Siakam there or, or something different, maybe Dennis Schroeder. And the other thing is, it just takes Scotty away from the place where he most affects the defense and has him kind of playing catch up, getting downhill. There was another play in the first half where I think George Niang set the screen for Gar- Garland very up high, hits Scotty pretty hard. Garland gets a sort of into a situation where Yach is stuck between Garland and Jared Allen, Allen slips and Scotty can't recover all the way to the rim to tag him in time. And Allen has an easy bucket. And again, you're just kind of pulling Scotty out of the place where he's going to be most successful. Pascal has been so bloody good as an on-ball defender this season that i would like to see him kind of get those looks at those guards i think he's done a pretty admirable job i think he's a lot quicker kind of side to side has a little bit more in terms of like delicate pokey hands to kind of poke balls free than i think scotty has in those in those situations and so that to me was kind of the one thing we'll talk about the free throw shooting later on that's a whole other thing um, that makes you roll your eyes and lose your mind and all that stuff but i thought this game you know ultimately You know, I know the impulse, right? Like you want to look at, oh, result bad. Someone must be to blame. And yeah, I don't think this was Scotty's best game or anything. I think it's a lot of little things, though. I think, you know, they could have used Scotty in a better spot. I think Darko, um, you know, probably should have recognized that a little bit more. Whatever. Things happen. Teams lose games. And the Cavaliers, despite being 8-8 and coming into this game, way better team than that. This team should win 50-something games. This was like their fourth or fifth game totally healthy all season long. Or something crazy like that and they looked very much like a healthy version of the Cavs. they were really good in this one i thought it was a very good game like honestly the raptors i thought did a lot to uh, make the Cavs uncomfortable in the half court but the raptors found little pockets of the game where their offense worked quite well we'll talk about Jakob pertle coming up in a sec as well too um but sometimes really good players like darius garland are just gonna burn you and not really anyone's fault it's just hey tip your cap cool game that was fun fun matchup uh i would like to see more raptors cavs games please they're very entertaining and again that styles make fight stuff really really cool and this raptors team the one of the joys about this raptors team is so many of their matchups are styles make fights games because they are pretty unorthodox in the way they are built so that's the takeaway from the Cavs game it was a fun one i enjoyed it but we'll uh get into sort of bigger picture takeaways from the weekend in just one second here before we do that however got to tell you about our good friends over at prize picks who are the single best place in the world to go and play daily fantasy sports it's super easy all you got to do is pick two to six players on your entry and whether they will get more or less than their prize picks projection in a given stat whether it's points rebounds assists you can go across sport as well receptions yards all of that stuff is available for you with basketball season here. You can now pick combo projections on prize picks across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. So you can have LeBron James three-pointers made and Travis Kelsey receptions on the same entry. It's a wonderful thing. You want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can do that now by going to Community Plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week as well. Go check them out. It's a super fun site. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked in NBA. Use the code locked in NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked for a first deposit match up to a one. Hundred dollars over at Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports made easy. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for making us uh, an everyday part of your routine. Uh, don't miss an episode, be an everydayer. It's cool, everyone likes it. Um, also, heads up tomorrow on the show, Vivek Jacob will be along. We're going to talk 905. Uh, not a banner start to the Raptors 905 season. Grady Dick down there now as well. So there's lots of, t- lots of talk about with the 905. Vivek, well, I think he'll be at the game tonight that they have in Mississauga. So we will uh, get the readout from that and dig into Raptors 905 stuff tomorrow with Big V. Okay, let's get to... Just sort of, a, I think, a general feeling I have from this weekend. And look, maybe this is just too wishy-washy. Maybe there's nothing really substantive about it. Maybe this will all get washed away when the Raptors, you know, piss away a game against the Nets this week or whatever. I don't think that'll happen. I think the Nets are bad. I think the Raptors will win that game. But um, <laughs> when it comes to just sort of the last few games, obviously the Magic game was a real low point that got smacked. It was not pleasant. But on the whole, I kind of think this team is rounding into some kind of form that I like. I think my sort of prevailing takeaway from this weekend with the Bulls game where they basically dominated throughout, yeah, there was the one little blip in the fourth quarter where Zach Levine got super hot. I never really felt concerned about that game, and maybe that's naivete on my end, but I just never felt worried. And then they justified that lack of worry by coming out of the timeout after the Bulls cut to seven and absolutely putting it away within a couple of minutes and just totally shutting the door on the Bulls, not something that this team did earlier in the season against that very opponent, for example. Um, And I kind of think we're seeing the Raptors establish a bit more of an identity, kind of know what works for them and what doesn't. They're finding ways of sort of weaponizing players within their team. And I think they're kind of finding some lineups too, that are going to start to become a little bit more in terms, of like just like stable pieces of the rotation going forward, and I think that's good. Like I, I think we're seeing things kind of round into form here. And again, do I think this is some team that's going to go win fifty games? No, but I do think this team's got some juice. The degree to which that juice exists, still figuring that out. But I think they're more than just a five hundred team. And. I know they're like exactly the sort of profile of a 500 team. They oscillate between very posi- very minimally positive and minimally negative on the net rating. They're around 500 all the time. They seem like they're either one game under or at 500 basically all season long. I get it. They feel like a 500-ass team, but they've had a really challenging schedule and they are working in some new stuff. They are getting used to new realities for Scotty Barnes and uh, you know where Pascal C. is going to fit in. They've missed OG Ananobi for a handful of games. I think on the whole, I'm feeling pretty good about the direction of things, and I feel like I said, you know, I, I think they are finding some kind of identity, and I think that identity is really starting to become, this is a team that's going to live at the rim, and they're doing it pretty successfully. I think this team has struggled with getting rim pressure in the past. And I think even at the start of this year, they struggled with it just because, you know, teams weren't worried about shooting. They're not worried about, uh, you know, the threat of the gravity of anybody on the floor, really outside of one or two guys at a given time. And so that allows them to just kind of pack the paint, make it really difficult to navigate towards the rim. I think we're seeing... A, a lot of guys are shooting kind of above their heads or just like having, you know, kind of coming back to where they typically are. Gary Tran Jr. Stabilized a little bit, that type of thing. We're seeing a lot, of, you know, Dennis Schroeder obviously has been incredible on the catch and shoot stuff. Not so good on the pull up stuff, but the catch and shoot stuff's been real. Scotty obviously stepping into a new world as a league average or better three point shooter. We'll see how long that lasts, but it looks good. Signs are promising. The form looks great. All of that. And I think we're starting to see that loosen things up just like a little bit. It's not fully loosened. This is like day six of a cold where you're finally starting to see, okay, I can kind of breathe. My cough is loose. It's not all tight and, and nasty. Like I can kind of like, I'm getting some stuff out here. I'm starting to be able to breathe again. My sinuses, you know, it's not fully cleared, but the congestion's kind of getting a little bit more manageable. I kind of feel like that's the place this Raptors offense is in. And because there's a little bit of shooting, and I think guys kind of discovering their best spots to fit in, I think we're seeing this team able to kind of create stuff going to the rim a little bit more effectively. So far this year, per clean the glass after last night's game, the Raptors are 11th in the league in rim frequency and 7th in rim accuracy, buoyed largely by Jakob Pertl, who's shooting almost 90% at the rim this season inside three feet it's nuts uh i have yet to see the updated i'm looking at they haven't for some reason updated his basketball reference page after last night's game just yet i'm recording this around noon on monday still not updated but he went into the game against the cavaliers shooting 86 at the rim and he missed exactly one shot in the game against the cavaliers and was carving them up at the rim which is great especially against a team like the cavaliers who murder you at the rim. That's like their whole thing is they stop teams from scoring at the rim. Yakup was able to kind of buoy their at rim offense last night, even if some other guys didn't have banner nights there between Scotty, you know, Pascal Dennis, et cetera, you know, yak, I think kind of bailed about there a little bit, but I think we're in general seeing, they're able to get to the rim quite a bit. Like Dennis Schroeder can get downhill and get to the rim kind of when he wants to, as a bit of like a a possession bailout mechanism. Uh, We know OG is being put in a lot of spots to get to the rim because he's working on cuts or he's, uh, you know, obviously in transition a ton, he's throwing it down. So that buoys those numbers a little bit, but, you know, they're, they're just they're finding ways within their motion offense, within the stuff they're running to get stuff towards the rim. And Jakob Pertl, obviously, has been an incredible sort of release valve, even when you get into the thickets and there's all sorts of arms and bodies. You have a guy like Jakob who can kind of come in above the fray, catch those passes and finish. And he's like an outlet who offers a little bit of space, even in close quarters. That's huge. And like I said, they're 11th in rim accuracy, seventh in rim frequency. Sorry, flip that around. 11th in frequency, seventh in accuracy. That's been going up. It's up from 18th and 16th last year, respectively, as well. And so, and like they had no rim pressure at all last season, basically, until the Jakob trade where it kind of opened things up. Um, you know, that trade last year was their big shot of Robitussin uh, versus this year. I think it's just kind of a slow getting better not medicinally helped it's just kind of you know over time and with reps and with more familiarity they're kind of figuring out where this offense is going to get its bread buttered and i think it's been nice to see and look teams will adjust to that teams are going to collapse all that stuff um but overall i think there's a little bit more flow to the offense and we've seen it right like the the numbers obviously not great against cleveland on the half court but they've been on a general sort of positive uptick over the last little while even dating back to like that boston game on the Friday uh, yeah, of the the in-season tournament where they lost, but there was some nice stuff there. And I think we're seeing a little bit of a a slow build of what this offense is capable of. It's nice. Jakob Pertl is carving it up where he's finding his spots, right? They're not only finding him around the rim as sort of an outlet uh, when, when things collapse, but also he's been really diamond dudes up from the elbows They've got those sets now where they give it to him and guys are cutting, they're setting back screens, they're throwing up those lobs, whether it's Scotty, whether it's Pascal. They even ran that same thing with Precious as the elbow hub and Pascal with the two-handed lob finish in that game against the Cavs. That was pretty, but a lot of that yak stuff is creating a lot of really good looks, getting really deep seals for guys like OG and Pascal on the back end of those actions, um, and just like really nice lob passes in to get those, those looks put up, and it's just... They're, they're figuring things out. Do I think this is ever going to be a top 10 offense? Absolutely not. It is not. There's just not enough shooting, not enough gravity, not enough pull up creation on this team for them to be a really credible, like top of the league offense. But I do think with the passing Intel they have with the, uh, just the overall talent they have across the board. There will be avenues for this team to score. And the fact that they're starting to live at the rim a little bit, that feels like a thing they're going to have to do. Obviously, if they're not going to be a high-volume three-point makes team, they're going to have to be a team that kills you at the rim. It's basically how they beat the Pacers, was they just murdered at the rim and were able to outweigh the math of not having the same three-point potency that the Pacers have. And so uh, that's been a really, really positive sign in the last week week or two here, I think, for the Raptors. And I think that's kind of why I'm feeling pretty good about how they're coalescing, because I do think the defense – is going to hold up kind of no matter what. Yes, there will be games where it doesn't work. Yes, there will be possessions where Darius Garland get loose gets loose, but for the most part, a very good defense overall for the Raptors as well. I also think we're starting to see them settle into some lineups that make some sense. Uh, you know, I think the one that is kind of emerging as a bit of a, a core staple lineup for them is the one where you take Scotty Barnes out early, put in Gary Trent Jr., and it's Schroeder, Trent, OGC, Ackman and Pirtle. That lineup makes a lot of sense, geometrically speaking. I'm not surprised that lineup is, is cooking. And right now, plus 14.6 net rating, just 54 minutes, but it's the most sec- it's the second most used lineup for the team. Um, and I think that's kind of revealing itself as a bit of a core group. They got to figure out what to do with the Scotty and bench looks. Uh, I'll save that for my hmm coming up later on. But I, I do think there is, uh, you know, a, a little bit of sort of, a clarity coming to what lineups are going to work for this team and which ones aren't. And I think Darko is adapting and using the lineups properly as a result. It's been nice to see. And I just think like to Darko seems to be settling into a rhythm. I think he's got a pretty good cadence for, uh, you know, when he's going to use his timeouts, how he's going to use his timeouts, the stuff he's drawing up coming out of timeouts. Look, I don't think Darko covered himself with glory running a possession that seemed to be about a Dennis Schroeder post-up at the end of the game where the Raptors wanted to try to get the the game-tying bucket on a three. But I also think a lot of what happened in that final possession for the Raptors against Cleveland was the Cavs snuffed out a lot of the stuff they were trying to do off the ball, on the inbound, etc., and it ended up in a pretty unfavorable position and look that that's going to happen like good defenses are going to stuff stuff out that's the way it goes don't put yourself in a position where you're down 3 going into the end of the game and needing a perfectly drawn play that is beautifully executed to get a three off um you know in general i think darko has been doing a really nice job on the sort of managing of the game finger on the pulse stuff and yeah i you know again do i see this team going to win 50 games no do i see this team maybe kind of competing for the sixth seed? I kind of do. I really do. I'm not, like, blown away by the Hawks or the the Cavs, frankly, right now aren't looking amazing. I'm not blown away by a a lot of these teams in the Eastern Conference, even the Knicks. Like, a couple games coming up against the Knicks, that'll be big. Um, Do I think the Raptors will be the sixth seed? That'll be tough. That'll be a tall order, but I don't think... I think they're a lot closer to a sixth seed than they are to a sort of of out-of-the-play-in conversation team. I think they're pretty clearly a solid team i think they're one of the 10 best teams in the eastern conference and where they slot in Will depend a lot on injuries and, you know, general sort of continuing of the upward trend of how their offense is starting to work with one another and all of that stuff. I think we're seeing the Pascal Scotty balancing act work quite well too. I think it is like a pretty harmonious thing where, you know, Pascal's going to have his nights and that's great. He can go and be the hub of the offense in a way that Scotty can't be when he's got those sort of endless stream of post up mismatches, even with how good he's been. You know, Scotty's actually been pretty rough from like push shot range and stuff like that so far this year. I think to keep an eye on. But, um you know pascal can be the hub in certain matchups and then there will be other matchups where teams send two to pascal and that unleashes scotty as a guy who can kind of make havoc on the wings and all that stuff um i think they can kind of work pretty harmoniously together i think it's all coming together here to the degree we'll see but I- i'm uh, i'm pretty encouraged especially after this weekend where they played some good ball they lost a the game but they played some good ball over the course of the 96 minutes of action they played this weekend We'll come back in their side, and round it out with the good, the bad, and the hmm from the games over the weekend, as we always do to round out recap episodes on the show. Before we do that, however, got to tell you, our good friends over at FanDuel, the number one sports book in all the land right now. You got to go check them out because as the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel right now. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet that's $150. Bucks if your team wins, if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Raptors Nets on Tuesday, in-season tournament. Apparently, the Toronto Raptors still care about their point differential. DeMar DeRozan doesn't like it, um, but maybe we see this become a close game where the teams are fighting for point differential in the Constellation round of the in-season tournament. We'll see. I think Brooklyn still has a chance of actually advancing as well. So, I don't know. I I would say, like, take the under on the spread or something like that. Like uh, pick a close game as these teams will probably try to like bolster their point differentials or whatever. I don't know. That's just like a a rogue piece of piece of advice or suggestion, but that that game is going on as well as a bazillion other games in sports over on FanDuel for you to go and check out There's spreads, player props over unders and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL and of the lockdown podcast network. Okay, rounding it out here with the final segment of the show, as always, it's the good, it's the bad, and it's the hmm, thing I liked, thing I didn't like, and a thing that's got me a little intrigued from the weekend's action. Number one, let's start with the good. And this wasn't like a banner game for him on Sunday. I, you know, I actually would have liked to see him close. I'm not sure exactly for who, because Dennis Schroeder kind of popped off after I was kind of eager to see Gary Trent Jr. close over him in that game. Uh, but Gary Trent Jr. is my good. And, and look, I didn't love his overall game Sunday. Just one of seven from deep. Had a few, though, I think like really, really important bailout possessions where he kind of got to his mid-range office and, and kind of saved possessions. That was nice to see. The offense clearly just runs more smoothly with him on the floor because teams care about him as a three-point shooter. He's up to, I think, 37% or so on the season from deep. That's not really been an issue for him since the first couple of games. He's figured out the three-point stroke. The two-point shot's really bad right now. He's not really connecting inside the arc. But if you just accept Gary Trent Jr. for what he is, which is a guy who's going to hit threes and make teams worry about him hitting threes... Not offer you much on defense, but offers you enough that can be covered up by other good defenders out there and is going to be sort of an odd end-of-possession bailout guy. Do you just like look at that, accept the good with the bad? Gary Trent Jr. is a perfectly fine player. Do I think he is playing himself into the long-term plans for this team? Not necessarily. That jury is still very much out. But he does make this team work better when he is on the floor. Very simply put, and I thought he had a pretty nice weekend. Nice to see him get sixteen points, four of nine from deep against the cat or against the Bulls on Friday. um And he's still, you know, even with not hitting his threes last night against the Cavs, I thought he was a pretty effective agent for positive basketball. It was a plus ten in this game, which I think is a uh, pretty spot on with what I was watching out there from Gary Trent Jr. The bad is the free throws, man. Oh my God, the free throws is a problem. That said. I don't know what you're supposed to do about it because the Raptors are a team that is predisposed to not being very good at free throws. They do not have a sort of uh, lead guard type who gets to the line a ton. They don't have a James Harden. They don't have a Damian Lillard. They don't have a Steph Curry. Those are the types of dudes who balloon a team's three free throw percentage because they're really good free throw shooters and they get to the line a ton. Dennis Schroeder, good shooter doesn't get to the line very often um, comparatively to the rest of the guys on this team. And yes, it's been a kind of weirdly cold start to the year from Pascal Siakam from the line, kind of straddling that 70% range. We've seen the yips from Gary Trent Jr. on free throws where he's just like barely over 50%. That's weird. We know Yaka Pirtle's not a good free throw shooter. OG gets to the line a lot. I think Scotty's actually been pretty decent from the line this year. Um, I've not found myself like angry about his misses necessarily in many cases that won against the Pacers, I suppose you could point to, but they won. So who cares? Um, But I think in general, you know, the, the free throw stuff, this might just be a thing you have to live with. And like, I know it's the type of thing that just like it's very easy to pluck for any sort of fan and just say, how can you not hit your free throws? This is so easy. They're free points. And yes, That's true. They are free points. It's maddening to watch them go 20 of 29 in a game they lose by three and get, I think, a pretty hilariously favorable whistle considering the Cavs just like never got to the line in this game. Um, And like, I don't think that they were doing anything to go out of their way to not get to the line. I think they were getting to the rim quite a bit and all that stuff, and the Raptors just weren't fouling or weren't getting stuff calling. The Raptors had themselves a pretty tilted whistle in this one. 20-29, 20-29, just not good enough, but I don't know what you do about it. Like, These guys are practicing their free throws, obviously. This is a thing they do. Everyone lines up. The Noah machine is telling them what they're, what they're doing and what they're not. It's just a different thing in the game. And you can hit a 1,000 in practice, and it might not mean anything in the NBA game. And I don't know what to do about it. My, I'm like at, at a loss. It's very annoying, but they might just have to overcome being a bad free throw shooting team how you do that i guess like you just put teams away before the free throws really matter late i don't know um but yeah it's uh it's pretty maddening i don't, I don't know what's going on it's uh drive me nuts but i also am at a loss for solutions because free throws are weird man i, I don't know <laughs> it's it's baffling let's go to the hmm and we got just our second stretch of minutes for a lineup that I've been wanting to see. I honestly thought maybe should have closed last night until Dennis Schroeder laughed in my face and scored eight straight points. Um, But I thought... The Barnes Trent OG Siakam Pirtle would have been my choice to close that game. I didn't think Schroeder was doing like an incredible job defensively in this one, where he was indispensable. He wasn't even guarding Garland. They still had Scotty doing that, which I think again should have been Pascal. Um, You know, I think that lineup just had a little bit more space to operate in the half court. We saw that the the offense get pretty gummy in the second half in this one, as the Cavs really clamped up and packed the paint. And I think the extra space of Gary Trent Jr. would have been nice. I also think before that final flourish that Dennis Schroeder was not having himself a very good game. And, of course, he bailed it out with a great finish and the huge three to get him to within one and all that stuff. But I was happy to see that the barnes trent ogc ockham Perto lineup at least got, like, a couple of minutes. They played exactly two minutes, which is nothing. Um, and they've played five minutes over the course of the season, also nothing. They've appeared in two games together. They, that there should be more minutes for that lineup. This was the lineup I thought should have been the starting lineup coming into the season. And look, I'm not saying you go and bench Dennis right now because he's playing too well, even with the sort of drawbacks that come from his maybe over-dribbling or whatever, or is calling his own number from time to time. He still deserves to be in the starting five based on how they've played. But I do think there should be more room for experimentation for that Barnes Trent OGC ockham Purdle lineup. Um, how they implemented, I'm not sure. But I do think there is something that could be a benefit to having that lineup rolled out there. If you instead make Dennis the first sub out and have Scotty stay in, as opposed to being the first sub out like they've had. And look, this runs counter to what I was talking about earlier with the lineup where the starters minus Scotty with Gary in there have been really good. There are ways to get all these lineups, little sections of minutes within the game, of course, but um, maybe experiment with taking Dennis out first, roll this lineup with Gary in there with Scotty, Pascal, OG and yak, and then maybe have Dennis, kind of run the second unit you can play with Malachi Flynn those minutes have been fine Um, especially against second units I think you can really use that extra ball handling in there especially considering Flynn has been mostly effective as like a catch and shoot guy so far this year you roll Dennis you roll Flynn you roll Precious and then you, you roll one other starter whether it's OG whether it's Pascal something like that I think that maybe is a counter to these bench lineups that have started second quarters or finished first quarters for the Raptors that have been really bad. These Scotty plus bench lineups have stunk. Minus 27.7 net rating in about 150 possessions uh, of Scotty plus four bench guys. Not great. And I think we can maybe put those to bed. Scotty might get to the point one day where he can kind of carry those lineups on his own. He is not at that level of impact just yet to do it. He is not Nikola Jokic who can play with four humps and lift them up, or Kyle Lowry, who can play with four humps and lift them up. It's not where Scotty's at right now. And I don't love those Scotty plus plus bench lineups. I wonder if by finding ways for that sort of alt-alt-starting lineup with no Dennis and Gary in there to get on the floor you can also open up dennis running with the second unit a little bit more often and i wonder if that's an avenue to improving those bench lineups which uh really have hemorrhaged points for for long stretches of games just a thought anyway that's gonna do it we'll leave it there we will be back again tomorrow to talk 905 stuff with big V vivek jacob uh we'll of course break down the nets game wednesday hopefully get katie heidel along for that one we got a Suns game wednesday we'll break that down thursday loaded week here on the show and uh looking forward to all of it so thank you so much for tuning in we will be back again on tuesday until then have yourself a wonderful day thanks for hanging